0: Today, on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
1: He goes throughout the land and he does away with everything. And it is a good place for us to always pause and ask ourselves. Because the basic definition of an idol is anything that steals our affection away from God. And it is a good place for us to ask ourselves anything in our lives that is stealing the affection away from the Lord. And it can be something as benign as maybe just a hobby that takes so much of your time. It is stolen even away the little bit of time you would have otherwise had to be with the Lord.
0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Chronicles. What takes up most of your time and energy? Your greatest passion is usually the thing that consumes your thoughts and wallet the most. This very same thing has the danger of becoming your idol. In today's teaching, Pastor Gary goes through the life of King Asa with all that he did well and not so well. One thing he did well was to purge the land of its idols. Although they were worshiping profane statues, The Old Testament is still very relevant to us today. Our idols may be packaged differently, but they're just as repulsive to God. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part one of today's message titled, The Sin of Self-Reliance.
1: We're here in 2nd Chronicles chapter 14. If you will note with me, before I start reading, let me give you a little bit of background about the story where we are here. We opened up the start of 2nd Chronicles, first nine chapters devoted to the life of King Solomon, the life and reign of King Solomon. He dies in chapter 9. Now, upon Solomon's death, the kingdom of Israel really is divided. It splinters. There's civil war. And literally, Even as we think in our own history about civil war, we have the north and the south. That's what happened in Israel. When war ensued and there was division and civil war, the northern part of the territory kept the larger name Israel. The southern part of the territory kept the name Judah after primarily the tribe of Judah. The northern kingdom was much larger, population much greater, southern kingdom smaller. But now each, the north and the south, have their own king and their own capital city The king to the north after Solomon's death is a guy by the name of Jeroboam. The king to the south in Judah is Solomon's son Rehoboam. Now, Chronicles follows the southern kings, follows the southern kingdom of Judah. And so following Rehoboam's death is his son, Abijah, who takes the throne. And then following Abijah's death is his son, Asa, who takes the throne. And Asa is going to be the main study for today, his life and his reign. We find it primarily here between chapters 14, 15, and 16. He is listed among the good kings of Judah, relatively speaking. He's pretty good. He's listed among the good kings he's got one major flaw we see at the end of his life that mars his testimony but otherwise he's listed among the good kings he reigns for 41 years third longest reign of any of the kings of israel or judah there were 19 kings in the north 19 kings in the south so he has the third longest reign of any of them and he did a lot of good for judah and the southern kingdom and he loved the lord But there was one area that he was weak in, and there was one area that ended up spoiling his reign. And we'll talk about that towards the end, but first I'd rather just focus for the time being in examining the things that he did right. And when we come here to chapter 14, I want you to notice with me verses 2 to 6 that express some of the good things that he did. Chapter 14, verse 2, let me read. "'Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God,' He removed the foreign altars and the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to obey his laws and commands. He removed the high places and incense altars in every town in Judah, and the kingdom was at peace under him. He built up the fortified cities of Judah since the land was at peace. No one was at war with him during those years. Notice this, for the Lord gave him rest. The Lord gave him rest. In other words, peace from all his enemies. You can write down in the margin of your Bible Proverbs 16, verse 7. Proverbs 16, verse 7 says, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. That's what was happening here. Asa was living a life that was pleasing to the Lord, and so God gave him peace from all his enemies. The Lord was with him, and he gave him rest. And that applied to the entire kingdom of Judah as well. Notice with me again that that closing verse, verse 6, says that God gave him rest, that the land of Judah had rest. And that was due in large part to the godly leadership of Asa, if you'll notice again at the beginning of what we read, verse 2 says that Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And then the section we read explains to us a few of the things that he did right. And so I'm going to share three things that primarily describe what Asa did right in his reign as king of Judah. The first thing that we see that he did here was he removed all the influences of idolatry. Look at verse 3 again, and the language here, the verbs are pretty strong because it says he removed the foreign altars in the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. Now, all these things had to do with idolatry. The foreign altars, high places, sacred stones, Asherah poles, all of that was idolatry. Now, the reason why there was idolatry in the land, quite honestly, is because his father Abijah and his father before him, Rehoboam, and his father before him, Solomon, had allowed it. It began with Solomon under the influence of his pagan wives. They brought their foreign worship and their pagan worship into the nation of Israel. Solomon allowed it and it just continued to be transferred from generation to generation where these objects and these idols and false worship was allowed within the land of Israel until Asa and when Asa comes along, he's like, I'm doing away with all this stuff. This is not right. So he smashes the foreign altars on the high places, the high places were any high point where people thought they would be closer to these false gods. And then the people built these altars to these false gods where they sacrificed and worshiped these false gods. Asa comes along and he removes them. Then it says he smashed the sacred stones. Sacred stones were basically memorial stones to these false gods that peppered the landscape unto these pagan gods. He got rid of those, smashed those, And finally, it says he cut down the Asherah poles. Now, Asherah was the female goddess of fertility that the Sidonians worshipped, the Phoenicians worshipped, the Philistines worshipped, even the ancient people of Iraq. They called her Ishtar. Her name by the Canaanites was Ashtoreth. Uh, Here she's known also as Asherah, same female goddess of fertility. And in the worship of Asherah, because she's the goddess of fertility, they would make these poles. Now, when you study and you do a little research, most Bible scholars agree that Asherah poles were repulsive, basically phallic symbols. They would carve male genitalia in the worship of Asherah, and they would then post these repulsive idols in the worship of this false goddess. And the Bible tells us here that one person in particular that Asa had to address because she made an Asherah pole for herself was his grandma. Asa's grandma was a dirty old lady made an Asherah pole. And he went over the hill and through the woods to grandmother's house. And he said, Granny, you ain't going to be having this in your house under my watch now as the king. Go to chapter 15. I'm not making this up. Look at this. You got to see this. This is terrible. But it's right here, chapter 15. And verse 16, King Asa also deposed his grandmother, Makah, from her position as queen mother because she had made a repulsive Asherah pole. Asa cut the pole down, broke it up, and burned it in the Kidron Valley. Can you imagine this? <laughs> Granny was into pornography. <laughs> I mean, it's the ancient equivalent. That's exactly what it was. And he goes in there, and he's like, you're not going to have this anymore, Grandma. Asa decided no more representation of idolatry in the land and he goes throughout the land and he does away with everything and it is a good place for us to always pause and ask ourselves because the basic definition of an idol is anything that steals our affection away from God and it is a good place for us to ask ourselves anything in our lives that is stealing the affection away from the Lord and it can be something as benign as maybe just A hobby that takes so much of your time, it has stolen even away the little bit of time you would have otherwise had to be with the Lord. It could be something as benign as that. It could be something as sexually tempting, something immoral that steals your virtue. So we have to examine our lives and come before the Lord and say, is there anything that I've made an idol in my life that has either stolen time or virtue or my heart away from you and deal with it? Because Asa was aggressive in the way that he cleansed the land of all the vestiges of things that were idolatrous. The second thing that he did here was that he restored the priority of God and His Word. Because it tells us still here in chapter 14, verse 4, it says that he commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to obey His laws and commands. So that's what he does here. He restores the priority of God and His Word. It is also a good place for us to ask, is God's Word central to our lives? That's why we make it central to our church, and it must always remain central to everything we're about here at Cornerstone. But individually, we have to also ask, is God's Word central to my life? Does it have its rightful place of priority? Do I turn to it to understand it, to read it, to apply it to my life? Does it serve as the handbook for faith and practice, for everything about my life, from how I manage money to how I raise my kids? Is God's Word speaking to me on a regular daily basis? And when you go home, read Psalm 119. The entire chapter is devoted to the intrinsic benefits and blessings of God's Word when we read it and do what it says. And among other things in Psalm 119, you can make a long list. I'll give you just a few that it tells us. That if you read and do what God's Word said, it provides counsel, encouragement, comfort, salvation, wisdom, protection, direction, truth... And on and on it goes, that within the Word of God, we have from God, inspired by the Spirit of God, through the pen of men, His counsel, His revelation, His plan, His purpose, the expression of His love, read it, get into the Bible and read it and do what it says. And that's why James then in his epistle says, be not hearers only, but do what it says. And if you do what God's Word says, you will be blessed. Blessed. There is a blessing attached to the reading and application of God's Word. And so Asa comes in and he says, the Bible is going to be central to our nation. The priority of God and His Word is going to be central to our nation. We are going to be one nation, under God, indivisible. I mean, he promotes the Bible as the foundation for the nation. Wouldn't that be great if one of our candidates would come forth and say, you know what, the Bible is going to be the foundation for our nation. How refreshing that would be. And Asa is basically saying this to the people of Judah. He's saying, listen, we're going to get back to God and we're going to make the Bible central to everything about our nation. And that's what he does here. Third thing that he does is he renewed the nation's covenant with God. He renewed the nation's covenant with God. For this, go to chapter 15. I want you to see it, but it's in chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 12. What happens is he gathers the people of Judah together. And he says, all right, now we're going to just make a public declaration of our faith in the living Lord. And so chapter 15, verse 12, says that they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and soul. Now, verse 13 here says, all who would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, were to be put to death, whether small or great, man or woman. That's a little challenging, isn't it? I mean, nothing like motivating you to get serious about God like the threat of death. You know, do you want to get serious with God? No, not really. You want to think about that again? Okay, yeah. Now, this is how Old Testament rolls, right? I mean, this is Old Testament stuff right here. Asa says, all right, now, let's get it all straight here. All you people are going to worship God. We're going to seek God together, right? Everybody on board. Whoever doesn't raise their hand is going to die today. Who wants to serve God? Yeah, everybody's going to raise their hand. Now, this is not all that sustainable. This might be commendable on some level. The idea that Asa is so passionate about wanting to serve God that he even tells people, I'm going to rid the land, not of just of the idols, but I'm going to rid the land of unbelievers. If you don't believe in God, you're dying. So in one sense, let's give him an A at least for passion, not the most brilliant thing to do to threaten people with death to follow God, because that's not sustainable. Once you invoke law in relation to God, law now makes it religion. When you use law as the way to connect with God, you have now made religion the object, and you have stolen relationship. Law is only a good regulator, but it is not a very good motivator. Short term, maybe. You know, if you're driving somewhere down the road, and you know, you know you're know you speeding, and then you see you know, a friendly police officer with a radar gun, all of a sudden law becomes a really good motivator, you know, and you get off the pedal and put the brakes on and hope you weren't going too fast. But that's not sustainable because as soon as you pass that guy and he's way in the rearview mirror, you're back to doing whatever you wanted to do. It's not sustainable. Law is a good regulator, but it is not a good motivator. Love is a good motivator. Love is a good motivator. Because the relationship with God that is based on love, not just simply on law, now is one that is sustainable. Because you are more motivated to follow after the Lord, knowing that He first loved you, and in response, you love Him. So love is a good motivator. Law is simply a good regulator. And how unmotivating would it be for you to follow God if John 3.16 had said, For God was so legally obligated to the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's not very motivating. But because it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And then we begin to realize it was the love of God that motivated him on my behalf to send his son Jesus to die on a cross for me. Now that changes the whole approach. Now it's not this legal binding obligation, it is a motivated relationship on the basis of love. God first loved, God so loved, and by the way, God is the initiator and God is the pursuer. That's why the Bible speaks about the relationship of God to Israel and the relationship of Jesus to the church like a groom to a bride. Because the man is to be the initiator. The man is to be the pursuer. The groom is the one that pursues and initiates. God is the one who pursues. Jesus is the one who has initiated and pursued us with his love so that then we respond to his love. Now that's sustainable because now it is based on love. So what Asa is doing here is commendable only in the sense of his passion, but it is not sustainable. You can only short-term force people with a threat of death to follow God. But if their heart is not connected, they won't in the end be a long-term follower of the Lord. So... This is what he does, though, you know, and the end of this section in chapter 15, verses 14 and 15, they do respond. It says, verse 14, that they took an oath to the Lord with loud acclamation, with shouting and with trumpets and horns. All Judah rejoiced about the oath because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They sought God eagerly and he was found by them. And then it says, so the Lord gave them rest on every side. There you have that same phrase repeated that we read earlier in chapter 14, verse 6, where God gave them rest. Here you have it again. God gave them rest on every side. They were at peace from their enemies. They were at peace as a nation. And the reason that they were at peace and God gave them rest was because Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And here's what he learned, and here's what he taught the people. You need to rely on God. You need to rely on on the Lord. Asa learned at a very young age to rely on God. I'm going to take you to a story back in chapter 13 when he was a young man and he observed his father relying on God. Go back to chapter 13 and I apologize because we're going to be flipping around looking at different passages, but I need you to understand the whole story here. And back in chapter 13, this shaped young Asa's mind. Now, his father Abijah, again, was not listed as one of the good kings. But it doesn't mean that everything Abijah did was bad. There were some things that he did that was good. But overall, he was not listed among the good kings. And one of the good things that Abijah did, the father of Asa, was in a time of war, he sought the Lord and he relied on God. In chapter 13, here's the story, starting at verse 13. Now, Jeroboam had sent troops around to the rear so that while he was in front of judah the ambush was behind them now here's what we're reading jeroboam the king to the north is coming to attack the king of the south and the king of the south is abijah the father of asa and so here comes war and jeroboam is hemming him in and surrounding him ambushing him verse 14 judah turned and saw that they were being attacked at both front and rear then they cried out to the lord that's key Then they cried out to the Lord. The priests blew their trumpets, and the men of Judah raised the battle cry. At the sound of their battle cry, God routed Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. The Israelites fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hands. Abijah and his men inflicted heavy losses on them, so that there were 500,000 casualties among Israel's able men. The men of Israel were subdued on that occasion, and the men of Judah were victorious. Notice, here's why. Because they relied, circle that word, they relied on the Lord, the God of their fathers. Your attention for a moment. What happens is the northern king comes down to attack the southern king, Abijah, the father of Asa. The Bible tells us what I didn't read is that Abijah and Judah, because they're smaller, are way outnumbered. Two to one. The northern kingdom comes with 800,000 soldiers. 500,000 of them will be dead before the end of the battle. Abijah comes with 400,000 soldiers, half of what the northern kingdom presents. But the big difference is that Abijah sought the Lord. The northern kingdom of Israel never had a single good king. They were always corrupt and evil before the Lord, and that's why they suffered loss and defeat here. Abijah, though overall not a very good king, Did something right and honorable. He sought the Lord. He cried out to the Lord. And how many of you understand that when the odds are against you, it doesn't really matter as long as God is with you. And God was with him. In fact, a lot of times God loves for the odds to be stacked against us so that then he can display his glory and his power and his majesty in our lives. When you feel like a situation is outnumbered and you feel like this is overwhelming and this is a no-win thing, get ready because that's when God is most glorified. If everything were hitting on every cylinder and everything was perfect and wonderful and you had no real need of God because life is just wonderful, then how is He ever going to display Himself and the glory of His presence in your life? If not but for when there are times when you feel completely outnumbered. So Abijah cries out to the Lord and it says that they got victory from God because they relied on the Lord. Asa, as a young man, sees this and learns it. So now he is going to be attacked. Go to chapter 14. And when he's attacked in chapter 14, he's going to apply what he learned from his dad. In chapter 14, verse 9, says, Zerah the Cushite Kush is the ancient word for Ethiopia, so the Ethiopians are going to come here. Zerah the Cushite marched out against them with a vast army and 300 chariots and came as far as Marashah. Asa, because Asa's king now, Asa went out to meet him, and they took up battle positions in the valley of Zephathah near Marashah. Then Asa called to the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we, here's the word again, rely on you, and in your name we have come against this vast army.
0: The book of Second Chronicles takes us through more of the history of the nation of Israel, sharing the trials and triumphs and the faithfulness of God. Pastor Gary is taking us through this Old Testament book here on Cornerstone Connection, and we pray you've been encouraged by the message you heard today. If you live in or are visiting the Leesburg area, we'd love to have you come join us for one of our weekend services. Our group of believers gathers each week on Sundays and Wednesdays to get to know each other, study God's Word, and spend time worshiping Him for all He's done. Service times and directions can be found on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, be sure to check out more about the church and the activities we have for all ages. You can also access our archive of previous messages under the Teaching tab. Did you know you can also take the biblically sound messages of Cornerstone Connection with you on the go? Just download our mobile app to your smartphone for access to each teaching as it's made available. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Pastor Gary has much more to share with us as he continues digging into the book of Second Chronicles. So we hope you'll join us again here on Cornerstone Connection.